You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Good morning. How are we doing out there? Yay. Um, we did a Thursday night. No. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yes, Thursday. Um, we did an outreach uh, down at Crane's Roost. Let me see a show of hands who showed up there, who were down there for whatever length of time. Hold your hands up for a minute. We had a good, good turnout. Um, it was a fantastic time. For those of you who don't know, that's our annual outreach we do with the city of Altamont for um, the Halloween event. I think they had they expected, I think this year it was around 15,000 people showed up for it. And we had a booth there, and we do what we normally do with our spiritual readings and end up praying for people, prophesying over them. But we also had something new this year with bounce houses that we were managing and staffing. That was a, that was a neat event. Yes. I had to take some notes on that one. I was just making notes as we were doing it. And one of the notes was this. Bring paper towels and bring uh, Clorox wipes because you get kids full of candy then jumping in a house. No. Yeah. So it's like, okay, note to self. We will be more prepared next time for that one. So anyway, that was fun. Uh, it was a great time, though. Lots of ministry going on. Um, and I don't know if you guys could see it this morning or not, but uh, Julia was doing a piece of art based off of that event. Can you put it up on the screen? Do you have it? There's our tent and the glory of God coming down on it and people getting ministered to. Isn't that awesome? Wonderful picture. It's like that. Every year it's like that when we're there. So... Such a great time of being able to, I, I don't know, my favorite thing about this is with the way this happens and what God has given us to do uh, with these events and all of these events, and it really speaks to our DNA and who we are, that we end up answering the questions of the heart rather than just giving answers to questions that nobody's asking. And that's the beauty of this, because we sit down and we hear what Holy Spirit is saying. We communicate that to them. There's a lot of the, how did you know that? How do you possibly do that? People getting healed, people getting prayed for. But they're getting the questions of their heart answered before they start having to get answers to questions that they're not asking. And for me, I think that's a big thing for who we are as a church. I don't ever want to be a people who are going out there trying to do evangelism, giving answers to questions that nobody's asking. I would much rather go out and give answers to questions that they are asking. And who knows it better than Holy Spirit, right? To be able to listen to him and to bring into a situation what people need. And so, wonderful time. Thank you guys for showing up. Next week, we're gonna have testimonies on this, okay? So those of you who were there for, even if it was a short amount of time, whatever God did, I want to hear about it. You can email me. The email's real easy, Andrew, x2orlando.com. I wanna hear about them this week, and we're gonna organize it so we can get some people to share next week. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Everybody take a deep breath. I feel really like galactically full right now. <laughs> like I got all of heaven backing me up right now. Um, I feel really good with what God's put on our hearts. Uh, we've been going through this uh, series of building towards destiny, family. We've been talking about the gifts of the spirit. Last week we started talking about how we find our destiny in family. And I want to talk about fathers today. Oh, I can feel that in the room when I say the word Fathers. Some of it gets really happy, some of it gets really down. Why? Because we are in a world that's broken. We all agree with that, right? We're in a world that's broken, and no matter how healthy our family is, there's levels of unhealthy. 
And when I bring up fathers, that can oftentimes bring up painful memories, um, things that aren't that healthy. But what I want to do this morning is hopefully shift our understanding out of the natural realm into the heavenly realm, which is by nature naturally supernatural. Right? What we want is to see so much of heaven invading earth that what has been supernatural to us for so long becomes now natural because we're so used to it. We're so used to it that supernatural becomes absolutely natural to us. So I want to talk about that this morning because I've seen something happen in the church in my life over the last, uh, actually over the last five years, I can really see things happening. That the church is beginning to, even though they wouldn't put it into this language, I think the church by and large is beginning to recognize that it's time to gather around fathers, not around denominations. And I've watched it change. I've watched even denominations change where they're not so much about the denomination. They'll change the name of their church and put the denomination in small letters and put the name of their church in big letters. And it's little things like that that I've watched over time. And it's just, again, part of what I feel like what's happening in the culture of the church is the church and people are crying out for fathers, not so much theology. Not so much for doctrine. They're crying out for fathers. And I really do believe that's the heart of what God wanted to give to people from the very beginning. So what I want to do this morning is talk about that. That what the fathers really look like. It's not so much anymore, and I'm sure I could get an amen on this. It's not so much about agreement on theology anymore. We need that, right? We need that. But we also need to keep holding in tension the fact that our theology, no matter how much we think we know and what we believe... At some level, even our theology is flawed, right? We're all going to get to heaven at some point and look back at it and go, I can't believe how wrong I was, right? I doubt there's going to be many people sitting there going, I can't believe how right I was. I think a lot of us are going to be going, I can't believe how wrong I was, right? So what does that mean? That means for us, then we need to hold certain things close-fisted, the deity of Jesus, yes. right? That he was fully God and fully man, that salvation is found in no other. These are things I hold very, very tight, Right? Um, I think there's a lot of things that have to do with prophetic things in Daniel and in Revelation, things that we need to hold very loosely because some of those things are going to look way different than we think. And, and I even personally have a hard time preaching on eschatology, future events, because of that. Because I know the, the propensity in our humanity is we want somebody to tell us what is right and wrong. Amen? We want somebody to tell us what is right and wrong because it's so much easier to have somebody tell me what's right and wrong than go search it out and find it ourselves. But part of who we are as believers is to come to the realization that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, it's the glory of kings to search it out. That if we are really going to walk in our priesthood, in our kingship, in our connection with him, that we have to hold certain things loosely, walk with him and let him reveal them to us. I could stop preaching right now. We want, though, and it's built in with the way we do our Western churches, we want somebody to stand on a platform and tell us this is what you need to know. When we need teachers, we need that. It's part of the fivefold ministry. We need it. But what we really need is an encounter. We need an encounter. It is our mission statement. Transformation through encounters with Jesus. When people have encounters with Jesus, he can speak truth into our life way more than somebody else can. We need people, but we also need the encounter with Jesus. So what I want to talk about this morning is how I really do believe what God has been wanting to do from the very beginning is reveal himself as Father. He is God, but he wanted to from the very beginning to reveal himself as Father. 
Throughout the Old Testament, we can clearly see that God the Father wanted the hearts of the people of Israel. If you read, anybody in here just enjoy reading like Old Covenant stuff? I like reading it. I, I do enjoy it because I, it used to really bother me because I would read it with the lens of, I am so unworthy. Oh my gosh, this is so terrible. This is, oh my gosh, God's so mad. God, all this stuff. And get a bad theology because I'm reading from an old covenant perspective, not a new covenant perspective, which is my inside and him inside of me, me inside of him relationship. And so when I read the old covenant, even Paul tells us in Corinthians and in Romans that all the things that were written before were written for our admonition so that we might have hope. So anything that we read from an old covenant standpoint, we have to read it from that standpoint from that position, looking at it and going, this is what was, I live in a different covenant. How many of you know you can read the book of Job and learn, but you can't read the book of Job and say, I'm basing my life on that, right? There are things that are in Job that I've even, people will teach as theology. Job makes a statement, God gives and takes away. That's man's perception on God. That is not God's character. You see the difference. So there's things that we can learn, but they don't necessarily tell us about the character of God. We, we understand the character of God most fully through one person. Who is it? Right, you get the gold star because you know that's the right answer. If I just ask you any question and you say Jesus, you get the gold star, right? Because <laughs> he is the answer, right? He is most thoroughly and completely, sorry front row, thoroughly and completely revealed through the person of Jesus. And I, I really believe if we read Old Covenant, if we read the Old Testament, we have to have in our reading, the glasses of Jesus, the lens of Jesus, so that we look for him in everything. Don't look for what we need to do. Look at what he fulfilled. Is this helpful this morning? In Isaiah 29, and I love the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is like a, it's like a time capsule to me. It's like, first of all, there's 66 books in it. How many books are in the Bible? Right. How many New Testament books? 26. We have 39 Old Testament books. If you look at the book of Isaiah itself, the first 39 chapters are all about law and doom and gloom. You get into 40 where it changes and it starts with this comfort. <laughs> comfort, my people. Isn't that beautiful? The last 26 books are all about hope and the glory and the revelation of God, the first 39 books. So I love Isaiah. It's power-packed with just some wonderful, wonderful stuff. And in 29... Isaiah is saying something that Jesus ended up quoting in Matthew 15. And here's what he said, if I can find it. Matthew chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 1, says this. Then the Pharisees and religious scholars came from Jerusalem and approached Jesus with this question. Why do your disciples ignore the tradition of our elders? For example, they don't ceremonially wash their hands before they eat bread. Jesus answered, why do you ignore the commandment of God because of your traditions? For didn't God say, honor your father and mother, and whoever abuses or insults his father or mother must be put to death? But you teach that it's permissible to say to your parents when they are in financial need that whatever gift you would have received from me, I keep for myself since I dedicated as an offering to God. This doesn't honor your father and mother, and you have elevated your traditions above the words of God. Frauds, hypocrites. Isaiah described you perfectly when he said this. These people honor me only with their words, for their hearts are so very distant from me. They pretend to worship me, but their worship is nothing more than the empty traditions of men. Jesus 
even in this passage right here, you, you guys know, you've read enough of the Gospels, you understand that Jesus shows up on the scene and he was constantly doing this, headbutting with the religious leaders. Because to them, he's not towing the line of religious hoops to jump through. He's not towing the line on that. He's coming in and he's attracting people to him and they don't like that, number one. They don't like the fact that people are gathering around Jesus. They don't like that at all. But why were they gathering around Jesus? I believe he's starting to reveal to them right, this right here. They come and they say, we want you to perform. We want you to hold up the legalistic rituals of how life, this is how you connect with God. And he, and he says back to him the words of Isaiah, the people honor me with their words, but their hearts are so very distant from me. They pretend to worship me, but their worship is nothing more than empty traditions of men. That's why... When we come in here to worship, I'm not impressed so much about what happens in here with people. Because I know how easy it is in our humanity to get into worship in a room like this. I'm more impressed when people do that outside of this room. Because it could be the empty traditions of men that we enter into. Not the absolute reckless heart. I was getting wrecked this morning, even in that first song. I'm like, I don't know what was going on. Did you guys feel it? I don't know. I, I, am, I am convinced of this, though. If I'm not feeling something in worship, it's not because worship is bad. Right. It's because something's going on in my heart. And the whole text that he's talking about right here is this. You guys go about the do this, do this, do this, and the whole time God has wanted your heart, but your heart is so far from him. That's what he wants. And what he wanted to reveal was himself. This is Isaiah speaking this to a group of people who have experienced him, but walked so far away from him. And he's saying, I don't care about your actions. I don't care about your going to church, going to small group, reading your Bible. Those things are wonderful. What I care about is the connection I have with you. That's what I've been pursuing. That's what I want. And Jesus is telling them all this stuff that you're doing. You're actually tripping people up. He calls them hypocrites. At one point he says, you are whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead man's bones. You look great on the outside, but you're completely dead on the inside. Why is that? It's not because they needed more actions, more things to do. They needed him. They needed the heart connect with him. We see this revelation. Jesus begins to speak of it. In Malachi, verses, or chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, he says this. Remember, this is Malachi. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, it's the last Old, Old Testament prophet. Some 400 years before the advent of Jesus, here's Malachi. He comes on the scene and he gives this ending of, what, of his writing. It's like a, such a prophetic setup for the coming of Jesus. It's, it's an incredible setup. And it says this, Malachi 4, 4 through 6. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees, all the regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts, listen to this, his preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is Malachi. He's closing it out. This is what he says. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah. Now, when we get to Luke chapter 1, this is actually quoted of John, about John the Baptist. Luke, the physician, he begins to give his narrative of the life of Jesus and his experience, and he says this of John the Baptist. 
He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Isn't that something? It says he will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Did you know that if you look at Elijah, look at all the miracles he did? He had some pretty fantastic miracles, right? Right? It's not a trick question. Malachi prophesies about John the Baptist coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Luke says, this is Malachi's words, and it's of John the Baptist. It's him. He comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. How many miracles did John the Baptist do? None. Not one. What does that tell me? It tells me that the greatest miracle ever is the hearts of the children turning to the hearts of the fathers and the hearts of the father turning to the hearts of the children. That is the greatest miracle ever. What I'm getting at this morning is from the very beginning, God wanted to reveal himself as father. That's what he wanted. He didn't want to come and reveal himself as overlord. He didn't want to come and reveal himself as a controller, as a manipulator. He didn't want to come and reveal himself as a dictator. He had no, he had no desire for that. As a matter of fact, if you look throughout the, really the five core covenants throughout scripture, the ones that matter, the two big ones that really matter are the Abrahamic covenant and the covenant of Jesus. Those are the two big ones that matter. You find a covenant in Noah that he made with him, but it's a little bit different. It's a two-part working together. The covenant of Abraham and the covenant of Jesus were unilateral covenants. You guys know what I mean by that? Usually in covenant, two people come together and make a deal. That's a covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, are you guys still with me? In the Abrahamic covenant and in the covenant with Jesus, it was a unilateral covenant. God came to Abraham and said, I'm making a covenant with you, and God did everything. He did everything. Remember? Parted the animals. The typical covenant was two people walking down it, looking at the animals, saying, so be it to me. These cut animals in half. So be it to me if I don't fulfill this promise that I'm making to you. In the Abrahamic covenant, who walked down the middle? It was only God. In the covenant with Jesus, who went to the cross? It was Jesus. And he had a new covenant for us. And I think that's important for us. I don't mean to go off on a tangent there, but I think it's really important for us to understand that. That the way we enter into covenant with him is through belief in what he has done. And belief in what he has done. I feel like I'm on a tangent there, but that's worthy. God is the father and we're created in his image, right? Again, not a trick question. We are created in the image of God, but we are all being conformed into the image of Jesus. That's good. So there's not this passive whatever. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus, but how do we do that? We watch Jesus. We look at him. We recognize that his primary thing, when, he said, when he's asked all the time, what are you doing? Who are you? I'm the son of God. Son, intimating father. Correct? I'm the son of God. People would get all been out of shape about that. He says, I came to reveal to you the Father. Isn't that something? He didn't say, I came to reveal to you miracles. I didn't come to reveal to you salvation. I didn't come, I came to reveal to you the Father. Now, I, if you really look at that throughout the New Testament, how many times he says, I am the Son of God. I'm the Son of Man. He is my Father. How many times did he, does he talk like this? I think we need to wake up to this reality and understand that there is a deeper connection. It's more than us just receiving salvation. I am on this planet to be a representative of my dad. 
And being a representative of my dad, yes, it includes the supernatural. You know that. It's who we are. We're all about the supernatural, the, the miracles, signs, wonders, the gifts of the Spirit. We're all about those things. But it has to come back to Mr. Love himself. It has to come back to my dad. It has to come back to speaking to the orphan heart and saying you belong in a family. Because all of those things outside of family mean nothing. Your destiny outside of family is a perversion of destiny. Because there is no such thing. Come on, are you guys with me this morning? There, the design from the beginning was God to say, I am trying to connect with a group of people and tell them that this is our relationship. That everything will flow out of this thing right here. It's like with my son. Uh, a month or so ago, we did a project together. We worked on his truck and we did a huge, like, a lot of work. Basically had his engine taken apart. So much so that at one point my son was down in the engine bay. That's how much of the engine we had out of it. And I'm working with him, and he's, he's got a mechanical mind. He understands it, but we have never really done anything in that depth before. So he knows that if you want to take a bolt out, you discover what size that bolt is, and you get your wrench or your ratchet, and you put that on there. But what he didn't know was some of the techniques that I know. He knew that if that's a 14-millimeter bolt, he gets a 14-millimeter socket, puts it on the ratchet, and he goes to turn it and breaks it free. But what he didn't know was how you seat that thing on the bolt is going to matter. Where you put the pressure, where you put the pressure with one hand, where you put it with another hand. Are you guys following me? You can't get that from a book. Those are the kinds of things that fathers impart. There's an understanding that I have about doing those things that he doesn't have. He can look at every YouTube out there. Church, let me just say something. I love YouTube. I like watching videos on YouTube. I like hearing other ministers. I like podcasts. I like books. But I cannot get farther from that. Church, we're designed to live in family. Jesus came on the scene and he modeled it over and over and over again and saying, this is my father, I'm his son. This is my father, I'm his son. Why? Because it was not just a nice little colloquial thing they used to talk about their relationship. He's saying, this is what I want to reveal. This is the very heart of it. Do you understand that everything that comes out of me, Jesus is saying, I'm paraphrasing, everything that comes out of me is a revelation of the father for you to see him. Every time he healed the sick, he was saying, that's my dad. Every time he gave an allegory, a parable, every time he blew their minds with something, he was saying, that's my dad. That's my dad. You know what he was doing? He was doing what John the Baptist said at the very beginning. What did John the Baptist preach? What's the word? Repent. Yes, there it is. What did he say? Repent. Now, that, that term has gotten so misused in the church. First of all, we think that it means turn and go the opposite direction. Anybody ever told that one? That's what repent means? It does not mean that. That's the fruit of repentance. Repentance does not mean that. If you've been here long enough, you know this now. Repentance does not mean turn and go in the opposite direction. It does not mean that. That is the fruit of it. Repentance literally means change your mind. Change the way you think. So when John comes on the scene and his goal, remember, he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah and he begins to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is he saying? There's a whole nother way of this thing functioning. It doesn't look like you think it looks. Even Jesus came on the scene preaching repent. 
He even told the Pharisees, he goes, even now the ax is being laid to the root of the trees. What is he saying right there? He's saying this entire family thing that you think has grown up here, I'm putting the ax to that because it doesn't look like the traditions of men. It doesn't look like you taking the law of God and turning it into these actions that people are supposed to live by. I'm putting the ax to the root of that tree. And he's saying, listen, church, repentance is not so much about what you turn from. It's about what you go to. The English word repent, repent, re, again, pent means high place. It's where we get the word penthouse. That's what the word means. Return again to the high place. Isaiah 55, the ways, your ways are not like my ways. My ways are what? Higher than your ways. What is he saying? I'm wanting you to come to something. We focus so much in the church on people's behavior and say, you got to turn from sin, turn from sin. How about we give them something to turn to? I can stop doing something and pat myself on the back because I've changed my behavior. But what has that gotten me? Nothing, because I still haven't connected with the Father. And he's saying the whole time, repent, change the way you think, come back to the high place. I want you to understand that everything you're doing that leads you into sin is just simply trying to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. That's all it is. Stop beating yourself up for it. Find the real. Turn to the real. Look at the real because when you find it, you start to absorb that. You start to take that in and it makes everything that tempted you before look like trash. Come on, are you with me? But it only happens inside a family. We can't just use family as some nice little term inside of church. We've got to recognize it. Even in worship today, I'm hearing these words we're singing and it's like, I have the authority. I have the authority. Andy's such a beautiful job closing that thing up because my mind was sitting there going, yeah, I have the authority, but sometimes we wield it. I've got authority. Let me tell you something. Can I just break some news to you here? Can I drop the heavy revy? Can y'all get woke? (laughs) Your authority is never, ever, ever to be used against another person. Your authority is to come in and support them. Your authority is towards the demonic realm. I kind of, I understand it and I get it. So don't freak out here, okay? But when people come say things to me like, you're the spiritual authority in this house, it makes me nervous. (laughs) I'm not that great, guys. He's the spiritual authority in this house. I'm trying to listen to him. (laughs) You, You hear what I'm saying? I have zero authority over you. Zero. I can't make you do anything. Even on my best day, I can't make you do anything. On my best day, it's hard to get me to do anything. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? You see what's happening here. Jesus comes on the scene. John 14, 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember? He comes to him, his disciples come and say, show us the Father. And he goes, have I been with you that long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Their hearts were crying out for it. Show us the Father. That's what my heart wants. Look, dude, if you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. Why? That's what he came to reveal. He didn't come to reveal signs and wonders. That's not what, that wasn't his point. The Father and I are one, he says. Luke 10, 22. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. When I read that, you've heard that passage before, right? When I read that, everything in my heart says, I want connection. I want connection. I don't want the revelation because I know the revelation comes in the connection. This is so good. Oh, I'm about to start preaching here. 
Listen, church, listen, we got to stop chasing. We got to stop chasing an anointing. At some point, we got to wake up and realize what 1 John says, you have the anointing that abides. I hear that in charismatic church a lot. I want that Elijah anointing. I want that whatever anointing. I want the Samson anointing. I want this. I'm like, dude, do you know where that came from? It came from Jesus, and you've got him inside of you. So you've got all of it. <laughs> I don't need just the Elijah anointing, man. I want Jesus anointing. Where do you think it came from? Are you hearing what I'm saying? We chase it. We chase the man. We chase the prophet. We go to the convention. We go to this. We go to that. And I go to those things. Don't get me wrong, but I know I'm going there not to complete myself. I'm going there to interact with the body of Christ. Hello? There is anointing on people for tasks, but listen, I don't need their anointing. This is not an arrogant thing. I please hope you're hearing me right. Podcast, hear me right. No, no hate mail. I am not dissing anybody else. I'm simply saying that the more I recognize who I am, I recognize this is what I have to give. They have something to give. We partner together, we do it, but I don't need to be like that person right there. Come on, I'm talking identity now. When you discover who you finally are, you won't want to be anybody else. If you think that you want to be more like that person or this person or this person, you haven't discovered who you are yet. And I'm telling you, take it to the bank. It's because we haven't found family. We haven't connected. We haven't found who the father is. We haven't found who the son is. And when we recognize, I have been brought into the middle of the Trinity. Ooh, does that mess with your theology? I hope so. I didn't say it. Jesus prayed it. John 17, go look at it. It's the actual real Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer isn't the Lord's Prayer. He didn't need to pray, God forgive me of my sins. He taught us how to pray. Are you tracking with me? John 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. I pray that they would be one and that I would be in you and you would be in them and them in me. That's the real Lord's Prayer. I don't think it went unanswered. Because he only said, I do what the Father tells me to do. I say what the Father tells me to say. So what is he doing? He's in that moment. He's bringing us into the Trinity with him. I know that can mess with your theology a little bit, and I'm glad. But we need that because we need to recognize he's Father. I'm his son. I'm his child. And when I recognize that, this pandering, this one, like Andy was talking about, bringing our swords in, feeling like the eighth grader, going into ninth grade, feeling like you have to prove yourself, we end up thinking that we have to prove ourselves to somebody because we've got spiritual gifts flowing through us. Your gifts, oh, come on. Breathe, Andrew. Your gifts, you do not mark your maturity. They're free. The minute they mark your maturity, they're no longer free. You've earned them. Also, gifts flowing through you does not mean that God condones everything that's going on in your life. <laughs> that's just how good he is. He's so good, he can talk through a donkey. Do you think he can talk through us? There's a settled confidence that comes from being satisfied with Father. It's the orphan spirit that clamors, that fights. I've heard so many stories about families who have brought in orphan children, either through adoption or through fostering. And I think I just heard one recently. I don't know who was saying it, but they took someone into foster care 
and they would sit down for meals. And as they sat down for meals, the foster kid would just take all the food and hoard it. Why? They didn't know they were in a family. Does it make sense? So they feel like they got to take all they can. I think a lot of times we live like that in the church because we don't know who our father is, even though Jesus said, I come to reveal to you the father. And he says, Father, I'm praying they would be one as you and I are one. He's brought you into a family. But we still have a lot of the church trying to do the get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid. This is mine. Look who I am. This is my identity. I can prophesy. I can pray in tongues. I can heal the sick. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can. The biggest problem in the church today is that word I. Wow. Why don't we come back to the word he? Wow. Wow. He. It takes me out of the picture, and all I have to do is come back to a place where I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe I am a child of God. I can't say that enough. I need Father. Because the minute I step outside of that, the minute I step outside of family, I've got to fight and strive for survival again. Is this making sense this morning? Matthew 12, remember that passage? Jesus is teaching, and he's messing people up. He's casting out demons. He's giving these allegories, these stories that are messing people up. And in Matthew chapter 12, there's this story of some, Jesus is in a house preaching, and his family comes to him, and he says, hey, your mom and your brothers and stuff, they want to have a little talk with you. And the context of what's happening is they're not happy with him. And he looks at him and goes, who is my mother and my brother and my sister? Who is it? It's those. It's those who are obedient to the will of the Father. It's you guys. Totally dissonant natural family on the outside. That's not to say that that's how we're supposed to live. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, they're thinking earthly, you're thinking heavenly, and this is my family. This is my family. Remember last week, I prayed over you, that prayer of Paul out of Ephesians. The whole family of God knit together. That this isn't something that's just to feel good. Church, we, we've need to, I beg you, I beg you, we need to take our definition and our understanding of family based on what we've experienced in this life, put it on the altar and say, I'm done with that. I need a revelation of what God says family is. I need a revelation of a family that says, when I come into this family right here, there's no punishment. There's no control. There's absolute release of destiny. There is correction because the father corrects those he loves, right? James tells us that. Hebrews tells us that, that he corrects those he loves. But correction is different. Correction always has destiny involved in it. I don't correct my children just because they're wrong. I correct them because they're missing their destiny. You see the difference? One of them is punishment and law. The other one is about destiny and release and truth. Hebrews 13, the son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. I love what Bill Johnson says about that passage of scripture right there. He said something years ago, and it's always stuck with me. He said, if you can't see it in the person of Jesus, you have reason to question it. Why? Because he is the very express nature and image of God. He is the Father. We call it Trinity, and it's right. It might blow your minds here a little bit. Did you know you never find the word Trinity in the Bible? It's not in there. It's a big deal for us Christians, though, isn't it? It's inferred by what we see in there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we see it. It's a, it's a, but it's not three separate entities. It's the one, it's the expression of it. And I think that's God's beauty and wisdom in giving it to us that way. Because I can't understand a magnificent God unless he's broken into three parts for me. Does this make sense? That's how amazing he is. He's one. I and the Father are one, right? How are you guys tracking? Okay. 
People gathered around Jesus because of the revelation of the Father. Even when Jesus said things, you know that he said things really weird, right? The woman comes to him wanting something, and he goes, yeah, it's not good to give scraps to dogs. How arrogant, right? I think the woman understood it, though. She understood that, yes, I'm a Gentile, you're a Jew, I get it. But even the dogs get some of the scraps that fall to the floor. At least at some level, she understood, at least I'm in the house with you. He comes on the scene and he says, all right, everybody, new doctrine for you, cannibalism. (laughs) Eat my flesh, drink my blood. John chapter six, go look at it, it's there. Now we know what it means, so it's easy for us, but think about this. First time out of the bag, all right. Start eating my flesh, drinking my blood. Now, if you didn't know what communion really was and what, if I told you that in this room right here, you'd take off running and rightly so, right? Jesus comes on the scene and says that and everybody starts freaking out and leaving him. And I love when he says to the disciples, love this, do you guys wanna leave also? And Peter's response, he says this, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. I looked it up, that word words, when Peter says that, you have the words of eternal life, it's not logos, it's rhema. That, that word rhema is literally transva- translated, it's like he's saying this, where else are we gonna go? Only you have the living voice of life. In other words, when you speak, I don't understand you, but I feel the Father. I feel the Father in it. And I can't make sense of this. I couldn't turn around and preach this, Jesus, because I don't know what the heck you're talking about. But whenever you talk, I feel family. Whenever you talk, I feel connection. And it doesn't make sense to me, but I want that more than anything else. What if we had that attitude? Paul the Apostle, same thing, I'm gonna end with this. Paul the Apostle, you see it happening in him. He prays for us, talks about family, talks about fathering, talks about it all the time. And at First and Second Corinthians, he's, he's having to write back to the church to bring correction. We've talked about this to a lot of things that are going on, but they've received the gospel, but they received the gospel through Paul. But they're still dealing with a bunch of other gods and a, bunch of whole, a whole bunch of immorality that's happening in the church, and he has to address that. But he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to read this to you. Do we have that for the screen? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 15, he says this. For although, he's telling the Corinthians here, he says, for although you could have, have, you could have countless babysitters in Christ telling you what you're doing wrong, you don't have many fathers who correct you in love. Now I want to pause right here. Some translations say guardians or tutors. Some of them say teachers, which is right. Um, What do we primarily go to events for? To get a teaching, to hear somebody talk so that we can get a revelation, right? And what is he saying? He's saying, you guys, you don't have many teachers. You don't have many guardians, or you have a lot of guardians, you have a teacher. You don't have many fathers. And he goes on to explain what this looks like. But I'm a true father to you. For I became your father when I gave you the gospel and brought you into union with Jesus, the anointed one. So I encourage you, my children, to follow the example that I live before you. That's why I've sent my dear son, Timothy, whom I love. He's faithful to the Lord Yahweh and will remind you of how I conduct myself as one who lives in union with Jesus, the anointed one, and of the teachings that I bring to every church everywhere. There are some among you who have exalted themselves as if they were 
as if I were not coming back to you, but I will come soon if it pleases the Lord. And I will find out not only what these arrogant ones are saying, but also if they have power to back up their words. What is he saying there? Wait till your dad gets home. How many of you heard that one growing up? Wait till your dad gets home. Now, that may not be the most healthy picture to look at depending on your scenario or what you grew up in, but you hear what I'm saying, right? Wait till your dad gets home. What if we turned that scary, wait till your dad gets home, that fear of punishment, what if we turned that into wait till your dad gets home? Then everything that's gone wrong, you're gonna feel it starts to get set right. This is his heart. This is what Paul is praying for the church at Corinth. He's not coming in and saying, you know, I'm gonna come. He does talk about that and say, do you want me to come that way? I can come that way, but this is the way I really wanna come. I wanna come with a heart that fixes towards your destiny. And these other people who are saying all these things and teaching these things, I wanna know if they really have the power behind it. It's like, let me go back to that analogy I used with my son working on the car. He was trying to take a bolt out that wasn't that hard to get out, but he couldn't get it to come out and he was stripping the bolt. He had the right tool. He had the right understanding in that you put this thing on there and you pull it and it comes off. What he didn't have was the proper technique. And what I believe, if we come back to this, if we understand what father really is and family, we recognize that there are people in this room that have things to offer to you that you can't get through a YouTube video. There are people who are willing to come into connection with you and live life with you in such a way that they can give you the right technique so you don't strip the bolt. I'm hoping this is connecting this morning. Church, where God is moving us, it's into the new, you're gonna see this. It's, it's not just about good principles to live, live by. I, I do this, I do what I do here so that I can see a generation move on into greater things. More connection, more life-giving connection with each other, more manifestations of the spirit that aren't caught up in religious affectations. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, it's really like this. If someone identifies they're a prophet in our Western church culture, they can identify they're a prophet and they think that their prophetic gift has to be used in a meeting like this. Nope. The strongest use of that prophetic gift of what you have is going to be used in the family you're in and in the circle you're in. You see what I'm saying? It's not about this coming together kind of thing. We need that. Hebrew says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. We need each other. We need to worship together. We need that experience together. But there's something about coming back to understanding that what God's wanting to reveal is fathers and children. We need to return to that kingdom expression of family. In other words, Paul's saying here in this passage, instruction's not the answer. Fathers are. Fathers are. I could send an email to my sons and tell them what to do. But when they're around me doing it, it makes much more sense. The experience of it together, and that is the heart of it. Can we stand up here? I want to pray for you. <clears throat> Paul goes as far as to say, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate him. <laughs> that word imitate there in the Greek is the word mimitis. It's where we get the word mime. Everybody knows what a mime is? What do mimes do besides drive you crazy? What do they do? They do exactly what you're doing. That's the word there, mime. It's where we get it. He says, imitate me. He goes, if I'm moving like this, move like this. Even if you don't understand it, why is he doing that? Because a father is saying, I need you to trust me. 
that just do this thing. And it's going to look really weird and awkward at first because it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel like you've lost yourself and you're having to do something that's unusual to you. But what I'm telling you is the more you do this, the more you're going to recognize what this looks like in your life. And you're going to be able to do it. Hello? We need to live by the presence of God. But if we can't find the presence of God, live by the principles of God. Start there. Start there. Start doing what you see other people doing, but recognizing in that my destiny, my calling, my understanding, it gets revealed, and I get to start to move in it. And then I bring other people with me, and I say, hey, imitate me as I imitate him. Does that sound good? Hold your hands out here. Lord, I'm praying for, Lord, revelation on Father. Lord, I want more revelation on Father. I want to know more about this thing. Lord, I'm praying for all of us that we've shed the dysfunction, that we shed the trauma, that we shed the pain, and we come into a new understanding and a revelation of what kingdom family really looks like, that we need each other. We need each other. We need each other, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, God. So much more I can say about this. We're going to end here. Just pray a blessing over your ministry teams. Go ahead and make your way up here. If you guys need prayer for anything, I felt something in worship. Um, Real quick, I'm just going to do this one. Is it? Yeah, we need to go. Something, somebody with your left foot on the top of your left foot. Did anybody have damage on the top of their left foot? That's you? I felt it right there on the top of my foot, like pretty intense pain that I felt like when I felt that, I felt like God's healing you today, like it's done. So yay God, wonderful, awesome. Yay, yay God. Okay, all right, if you need any kind of prayer at all, just make your way up here, but I just pray blessings and life and joy and peace and grace over all of you, amen? Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life. 